The hosts feel it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to. Well, we've warned you. Hello, and welcome once again to the Frankencast. I'm the mad scientist, Anthony Bowman. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm joined as always by... The guy who got lugged up on the yard arm and then struck by lightning and turned into a skeleton that is Eric Velasquez. My pronouns are also he, him. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that yep. here a little bit. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> so, welcome to... Our first part two episode where hey. we're talking about the second half of Frankenstein, the true story. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it aired over two nights originally is why, you know, it's, it's cut in half. But like worked out for us because three hours is, is a long, a long that's movie. A, that's a long movie. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this picks up pretty much right where it left off. We've got the creature waking up on the shore, walking off down the beach. Well, first we get uh, the five-minute recap, of course, because, you know. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah you got to have that. The good previously on stuff mm-hmm. that you need when you're when you got a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a- after he walks down the beach, he comes upon a blind man in the woods uh, with his dog. We find out his name is Lacey. Right, not D. Lacey, uh, just Lacey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the dog, you know, the dog picks up on the weirdness of the creature and he kind of growls, but the man's like, oh, don't pay any attention to him. So he's, he's friendly, mm-hmm. you know, greets the creature, you know, he, of course he's blind, yeah. you know, but he like shakes his hand and is like, you have very powerful hands, but they're very cold. Right. There, there's a lot of talk of cold hands in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he even says that, you know, the old cold hands, warm, warm heart saying at some point in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tries to touch the creature's face and he, you know, pulls back, doesn't doesn't want him to do that. Yeah, of course. And even though the creature, like, we've had him talk a bunch, he's still kind of, like, he doesn't really say anything in this scene. He just, the man kind of, like, guides the conversation and is like, well, why don't you come back to my place, you know? And he just kind of follows along without really talking. Yeah. Is it so much that he uh, didn't want to talk necessarily or that the old man wouldn't let him talk as he kept <laughs> going on? I, I, yeah. I, I did enjoy that bit, though, where he's like, yeah, yeah. I'll do enough talking for the both of us. Oh. <laughs> and he tells the creature that he's got a daughter named Agatha, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, he ends up leading the creature into his little cottage, gives him some dry clothes, because, of course, you know, he just washed up on the beach, and he gets out his violin, mm-hmm. so, you know, we get, you know, as we talked about, he plays several different instruments, depending on the version we're talking about, yeah. but in this case, it's the violin, and, you know, plays a little bit, and, of course, the creature loves the the music yeah and in this case we get felix and agatha they both arrive and like you hear like a carriage pull up outside lacy goes out to greet them and the cre- you know he's like y- you'll love my family they're great but while he's outside the creature sneaks out the back door and uh of course he tells them hey we've got uh we've got a new friend inside but also this Felix and Agatha, they're not brother and sister, it doesn't seem like. It seems like there's something more. Yeah, I think Felix is like a, a hired hand or something around their, their like sharecrop farm. Right. And yeah, Felix and Agatha have a little bit of a romance kind of going on. Poor Safi, I wonder what happened to her in this version. <laughs> I guess they just decided to combine Safi and Agatha into right. one character. Fair enough. If they'd had them both, the movie would have been four hours <laughs> Right. <long>. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Lacey brings his family in and is like, oh, I guess he disappeared. So they sit down to eat dinner anyway, and the creature, you know, watches them from outside. And then, you know, Agatha commences into their Bible reading session for the evening. And uh, they actually go into the discussion of the uh, story of Legion being cast out from a man in the Bible. Yeah, I thought that was like, you know, we get a lot of Paradise Lost stuff in here. And, you know, so that kind of religious imagery with like Adam and Lucifer cast down and all that. 
Mm-hmm. But the Legion reference, I don't know that I've seen that in any other one, and it makes so much sense. It's yeah. really, it's a really nice little touch here, especially in this version. And it comes up a couple of times, like it, you know, it, it's first introduced right here. You know, she reads the specific line, "The my name is Legion, for we are many." Mm-hmm. That will get echoed a couple of times. Yeah, the monster kind of likes that line, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he repeats it right then, like to himself, and mm-hmm. then yeah, like you know, it comes up again later. Well, our good dog Toby uh, knows that the uh, monster is there. And starts growling automatically and alerts the family. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, again, Lacey, like, steps out back to invite him in, but he has disappeared. He heard the dog bark and and knew what was going on, so he gets away. And Lacey says, like, it's a shame. I know he has some kind of sickness or trouble, and, you know, I want to help him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got this really kind-hearted man that, like, the blindness helps, of course, but he seems like he might have been willing to give the creature a chance no matter what. Right. So then we get the creature. He is like alone under a tree. He's like eating and he's quoting that same my name is Legion bit again just to himself. So yeah, he's definitely like that really resonated with him and he's hanging on to that little quote. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's a good quote. Yeah, but the next day we got Agatha who's going out to uh, bring Felix his food out in the field where he's working right now. Don't we get that scene with the creature going in the house first? He, like, carries the dog in? You're right. You are correct. I'm sorry. Yeah, because that's, like, so he the creature somehow, like, gets... Like, right. The dog now is, like, trusting the creature because he's, like, carrying him in his arms. Uh, and he goes into the house. He thinks it's empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, like, finds the Bible and tries to read through it, like, actually looking at the book. And then he hears Agatha in the back room. And he's like, oh, you know, uh-oh. But then she leaves out the back door, and that's where she heads over and goes to to meet Felix. But the creature kind of, like, he's, like, curious, you know. He doesn't trust, you know, obviously she can see, so he's not, like, safe with her. Right. But he kind of, you know, he wants to know what she's up to, so he follows her. He's taking a fondness for Agatha a little bit. So he he watches this whole scene, that the one that you were talking about. So she arrives and brings some lunch to Felix out in the field. They have a lovely little conversation where they get to flirt a little bit, and Felix gets to drink a big bottle of wine. And I think they even kiss at some point, and, you know, the creature is watching all of this unfold. Absolutely. Then they they decide they're going to go to the market. So I guess their kind of situation is that, like, they're farming whatever they can each day and taking it to the market in the evening to try to get a little bit of money. And, you know, they go ahead and leave out on the carriage, and uh, that's when our good friend the monster decides it's uh, it's his turn to come inside and hang out with Lacey. However, turns out they don't get too far away before they're like, hey, I think our friend just just arrived at home. Let's uh, loop back around. Yeah, so this really, like, shortens the whole kind of window of time at the cottage. Yeah, so the creature's listening to the violin, and Felix and Agatha, they first, they come around the back, and then they kind of whisper, and they're like, actually... You go to the front, I'll come in the back, and then, you know, we'll we'll catch him whichever way yeah, he yeah. goes. Yeah, yeah, we'll give him a surprise pincer, which is a very sane and rational thing to do with someone <laughs> you don't know. And, like, the thing here is, like, they're not, they, they're genuinely curious about their, their dad's new, or Agatha's dad's new friend. Like, mm-hmm. they're not trying to antagonize him, but, like, they, at the same time, they, they are kind of, like, coming up with this clever maneuver so that he can't escape. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Felix comes in the front door which scares the creature. He tries to, like, turn around and run out the back door. That's when Agatha tries to come in, so he crashes into her. She obviously sees this giant monster that's run into her. She screams, and then Felix grabs, like, a big chunk of firewood, tries to, like, attack the creature with it. Well, and you know what happens when you attack a creature. Uh, It doesn't (laughs) go well for you. So poor Felix gets slammed against the wall. Yeah, and it's one of those classic bits where he hits the wall at the back of his head and then slides down slowly, leaving a trail of blood. So he hit his head real hard. Yeah, we get basically that's the universal signal for this guy just died. Yeah. So then Agatha wakes up from fainting and finds that Felix has died. And then she runs outside and the creature sees her and like tries to call out like, you know, obviously this all happened as an accident or whatever. And he still feels this attachment to her. And he kind of calls to her and she runs out in the middle of the road and tries to like flag down a carriage that's coming. Right. But whereas she could have just kept her eyes full looking at the carriage she looks away and of course she gets run over by the carriage yeah and uh this is one of those dummy scenes right again. yeah like we, we get to see her get run over by the carriage and you can tell it's a dummy but it's still pretty effective like seeing 
seeing these carriage wheels go over this person. So then that leaves Felix and Agatha both killed. And the creature, like, picks up her body and carries her back to Victor's lab. But it turns out it's not Victor's lab anymore. No, no, no. It turns out someone else has moved in in the meantime. That would be our good friend Polidori. And he's redecorated the entire place. Yeah, he's got a he's got a very strange sense of decoration too. I guess with like the hypnotism and stuff, like they're trying to make him seem like he's really into like Eastern mysticism. Yeah, it's got a more Eastern vibe. And then of course he also has two henchmen who are he like he eventually says they're Chinese, but it's like two kind of Asian guys, and they're all kind of in like a little bit more traditional Asian type clothing. Even like it's it's a very different vibe from when it was Victor's lab. Right. He definitely has taken that Eastern mysticism to another level here. Everything's with plush pillows, you know, everything's mm-hmm. silk. And Polidori almost, he kind of acts like he expected the creature to arrive at some point. And he's like, oh, you know, come on in. Victor's not here anymore. I took over. But I do know everybody in town is talking about, you yeah. know, what's going on here with Agatha. So why don't you why don't you set her down and we'll take a look and see what we could do. Yeah, and then he has his, uh, his henchmen basically lug her body. Well, he tries to have his henchmen lug her body down and die. I guess the cellar he wanted to move her somewhere cold but of course the mm-hmm. monster's not having it initially he's like nah you don't touch her yeah yeah polidori wants to examine her body and like he wants to like lift up her her dress a little bit mm-hmm. and the creature gets really defensive about it and he's like uh, polidori says i have no use for delicacy particularly for monsters right <laughs> polidori is pretty uh, good as a villain here <laughs> Yeah. So he do, he uses his hypnotism and manages to put the creature under. At first, the creature quotes the the Bible verse again. Like I think Polidori asks, "Who are you?" And he's right. like, "My name is Legion, for, for we, we are, are many. many." Yeah. And then Polidori's like, "Wait a second, you're comprised of your constituent parts. Who else is in there with you?" And then we get Polidori just speaking directly to Clerval. Mm-hmm. You know, they do like voice sync and everything, so it's like the actor who played Clerval doing the voice. Uh, yeah, and, and he even you know, calls Polidori Polly Dolly. That's his nickname for Polidori. Yeah, it kind of mocks him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Polidori is like, the reason that this is all messed up the way it is and the creature's reverting to this sort of monstrous form is that using electrical shocks was like a lazy shortcut, which caused the process to reverse at some point. Yeah, your solar uh, power wasn't good enough. Yeah, and so Polidori's like, I, and I can't help you. It's too late. You know, you are what you are. Not even God can help you but of course we can help agatha out right yeah so he's got he's got a plan for for that but first polidori offers the creature some food they sit down uh, but Uh. the creature kind of like he shies away from the henchmen like he doesn't want them to see you know he's still like have dealing with his appearance well don't worry about that because polidori is going to make a reverse racism Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we look yeah, the he same. Said, <laughs> he's like, you don't need to be embarrassed. To them, we all look alike. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. All right. So that does kind of comfort the creature in a way, mm-hmm. and he sits down and eats. And then we cut away to Victor and Elizabeth. They're getting married, and it's like sort of the end of the ceremony, and they're kind of rolling into like the reception kind of thing. And Polidori shows up to crash the wedding. In, in, uh, and, in the fanciest way possible. Oh, yeah. So I don't. The, the thing that I mentioned at the beginning of last episode, where I had that weird introduction thing, mm-hmm. it came from this scene. So, like, Polidori kind of pulls up in this grand coach and gets out and the he's like you know i'm polidori to the valet guy or whatever hey you're not on Uh, the list yeah uh but you know in that little weird intro he like looks right at the camera and is like i'm not polidori yet you know and they did that but yeah they they just kind of brought that from this moment for some reason but yeah like you said the valet's like you're not on the list and he's like yeah i don't expect to be but i'm going in anyway it would be very odd if i were (laughs) Uh, and so he gets inside and Victor kind of confronts him and is like, what are you, what are you doing here? I don't want anything else to do with you. Polidori's like, I think you're going to want to hear what I have to say. Mm-hmm. He tells him basically like, I have this, this woman who has been killed and needs to be revived and I need your help. You need to be involved in this. Like you, you're going to want to be a part of this. And he, in fact, like, uh, Victor's like, if you're so, why do you need my help? If you're so good at all this? Well, of course, uh, Polidori has laid down his hat at this point and he's, he motions towards the hat and he's like i can't pick this up and you know why he can't pick it up yeah so he has victor take off his gloves mm-hmm. and one of his hands is just completely gone it's just a stump right that he's just got like a prosthetic hand in a glove that just kind of slides over and then the other hand 
hand is like almost like a skeleton hand. It's like eaten away. There's still fingers and everything, but they're they're no longer functional. Yeah, he had an uh, accident with some chemicals, possibly related to lightning. That's why he has the fear of lightning. Yeah. So he's got all the experience. He knows what to do to revive Agatha, but he can't physically do it with the hands he has. So you know, we had a one of the hammer. Frankenstein's had a similar kind of thing where Victor had to use his, you know, assistant. I think that was the last one, wasn't it? Monster from Hell? It's not that, yeah. I believe that is correct. Yeah, and, you know, the same thing where he has, like, the black leather gloves and, you know, so Polidori is kind of, he needs this collaboration to get things accomplished. Yeah, Victor will be uh, his hands, so to speak. Yeah, and Victor is still kind of, like, not really interested, and then Polidori's like, so here's what's up. Like, the, the dead lady I have she was killed by your creation and uh you know people are trying to figure out what's going on with her so so there's some heat on this and also the creature is at my lab as well and if you don't come back and help me i'm just gonna go go drop him off or no he's not even in the lab he's in the carriage well no he's like he's like i have a special guest i need you to see (laughs) doesn't even tell him the monster is there that's right yeah so he sees him out in the carriage and is like i will just leave him here and go uh, you can try to explain all of that to, to everyone here at the party. The monster's wearing this wild, like, masquerade mask on a stick. What are those called? Like, they're not... Yeah. They're masks, but what type of masks? I forget. Yeah, are they not Are they not just called masquerade masks? Is there another name for them? Uh, maybe they are. I don't know. I'm not that fancy. Anyway. <clears throat> but it's yeah. like the full kind of porcelain one that you often... Like, now you see it like, craft stores that people paint and stuff. Right. You know, like, it's... But, you know, it has a little bit of... This one does already have, like, a face kind of painted on it. It's it's just creepy, and he's sort of using it to, like, not let anyone see his face, basically. Yeah. Of course, because uh, one of his uh, footmen suggested that for Polidori. He was like, maybe you don't want this guy just walking around without a mask. Yeah. So Victor's, like, pretty much blackmailed into having to help. Right. We cut to, like, after the wedding, Victor and Elizabeth are in a carriage. They're, like, leaving, presumably for their honeymoon, but they're arguing. Yeah, Liz ain't happy. Yeah. Victor's got somewhere to be tonight, and it's not in their bedroom. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, Victor's like, I promise I've got, I have to take care of this. It's really, really important. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't do this. If it wasn't absolutely necessary, I'll be back as soon as I possibly can. Yeah, I'll make it up to you, baby. Yeah. yeah. And so their carriage meets up with Polidori's and stops and they kind of, you know, Victor gets out of one and gets into the other. Right. And of course, whenever they arrive at uh, Polidori's mansion now, as opposed to Victor's lab, Polidori immediately mentions that, yeah, you can tell I've redecorated the whole place. Pretty much the moment you left, I just came in and took over via squatter rights. <laughs> yeah. And he also shows Victor Agatha's head, which is in a jar. Seems like with her getting run over, her head was preservable, but everything else was was kind of a wash. And he's got another... I think it seems like with Agatha, it is just a head and a whole body. Right. that's not like a, a whole series of parts. Right. But yeah, so he's got a giant tank that has a headless body and, you know, that they're going to join them together. I love that at this point, the monster is still kind of like, hey, don't touch, don't touch the head. But Polidori goes over to him and he's like, hey, listen, violence may be unavoidable, but clumsiness is inexcusable. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, and so then we get, like, the scene with Victor sort of, like, surgically attaching the head to the body, and then they put it back in the tank of liquid, and then we see, you know, Polidori's methods, which are very, very different than, you know, Clerval and Frankenstein's. Yeah, he's very Uh, much an alchemist. Yeah, it's just like they're pouring various colored liquids into the water, basically, and it, you know, you just get that really cool effect that, you know, what happens when you drop food coloring in water, and it spreads slowly, and, you know, swirls, and, you know, it looks very dramatic and cool, so... It's a very different interpretation that is just also cool in a different way. Yeah, and I like how, like, in kind of the middle of the process, they have, like, this little teaspoon or tablespoon of some powder, presumably pure sodium, and they just dump it in and it just starts sparking and fire breaks out. Yeah, like the whole, like, the water across the tank just catches fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it, you know, it looks like when, like, oil's on water and, and burns. Yeah, but don't um, worry about it. The, the body's fine. Yeah, because she's, like, floating under the water. Mm-hmm. But, like, obviously all the fire scares the creature, and, you know, he's kind of freaking out. But eventually it burns out, and the female creature comes to life, and they're they're able to get her out of the tank and everything. Yeah. And then we get 
a scene with Victor and Polidori discussing her as she sleeps. So it's kind of echoing back to the first part where Victor watched his creature asleep. But in this case, it's kind of funny, you know, like Victor had this whole romance in the last movie, but we never got a name for the creature. Right. And here Polidori right away is like, you know, I've made this woman, like she's a real flesh and blood living human being. So the first thing he thinks is like, I need to give her a name. Right. He decides to name her Prima. The first, right? Yeah. And so now that she's alive and everything's fine, like Victor is able to go about what he wants to do with his life so it just kind of cuts away to some time has passed and victor and elizabeth are arriving home from their honeymoon right uh, and immediately paul uh we cut to polidori who's talking to uh elizabeth's mom <laughs> yeah while they've been away on their honeymoon he just like crept into that house and just like befriends her family and is like I- i'm one of victor's old friends he'll be so glad to see me <laughs> well he we'll find out he did a little bit more than that here in a bit but uh <laughs> As soon as Victor steps out, wait a second, this guy's, he's evil now. Victor's evil because he has a goatee. (laughs) This is literally the only time he has the goatee in this entire movie. Yeah, and there's like a, at first, like, Elizabeth's mom makes no mention of it. And then she's like, oh, wait, I didn't even notice, but you've grown a beard. Yep. And then he shaves it off in the next. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's just supposed to be like a lot of time has passed. Right, basically. He had beard growing time. Right. But uh, we've got the introduction of uh, Polidori and, you know, uh, he's officially like talking to Elizabeth now along with uh, Victor. And he's like, hey, I've got someone you really need to meet, Victor. It's this lady na- or little girl named Prima. She's my ward. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, like, he's spent a while now with, with Elizabeth's family, ingratiating himself and Prima. And it turns out, like, Polidori is going to be away for a while, and Prima is going to be staying with Elizabeth's family. She's got, it seems like a, a debutante ball kind of thing coming, some sort of, like, coming out party where she's going to be shown to the community. Right. She's given um, and the she's going to be staying with them until after the ball. Yeah, and she's given the explicit order to do everything Liz does. So the first thing she does is remove an earring. Oh, yeah, and then, yeah, Elizabeth realizes she's missing one. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, it must have must have lost it on the, the journey or something. Right, and that that's when we get kind of an automatic, like, Liz don't like her because she's literally mimicking everything Elizabeth does. Yeah, and it definitely, like, it seems like Polidori is just messing with Victor for mm-hmm. just for fun, like. Like, there's no real reason to be doing this. Well, Uh, there is a reason. He's using (laughs) this as a training moment for his later plans that we'll talk about. Yeah. And Prima is pretty evil right out of the gate, too. Like, the next scene is, like, everybody at dinner, and Prima just, like, faints. Well, are we going to talk about um, when Elizabeth's mom's brushing her hair and discusses how she had a she had a headache until Polidori came by and you know she remembers something bright basically implying uh, that Polidori hypnotized the mom into believing she had a headache and he fixed it yeah 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 I, yeah I forgot about that little little moment but yeah. then yeah it's like later that evening and and so Prima just faints at dinner and right. Victor's like you know Victor's the doctor of course so he helps her to her room gets her into bed and then she just immediately wakes up and like it's clear that she was she faked this whole spell just to get Victor alone and kiss him. Uh, yeah, and she kisses him and Victor like is taken aback by this and she starts to, you know, like you said she's been told to kind of like imitate Elizabeth. In this case, she like starts mimicking her voice and sort of mocking her and everything. Right. Uh, like she's the level of imitation. It's not like learning. It's like, you know, it's malicious. Yeah. Basically, the feigning thing was her mimicking someone else she saw. We never saw it. It was just mentioned. But yeah, so at one point, Elizabeth is actually playing the piano. And that's when. Oh, yeah, that part's so creepy. Right. And that's when uh, I almost call her Polidori. Prima comes in and she's like, hey, can I play? Well, whenever she startles Liz, she, you know, bangs on the piano and it makes a discordant sound. But then, you know, Prima starts playing it the exact same way. And then when she gets to that part, she also just slams it down Mm -hmm. and she starts laughing at Elizabeth a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like it's, you know, they've just used the same recording. But like, yeah, it's just the level of perfect, like robotic recreation that she achieves there is is just kind of chilling. Right. And that scares Elizabeth off. But uh, not enough that Elizabeth uh, completely leaves because 
Prima just starts giggling again. Now that we know Elizabeth is pregnant, I believe they've mentioned it already. Turns out Prima has uh, put a pillow under her dress to make herself look pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth didn't like that. Not at all. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we're seeing like the tension building between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Then we like we get a scene of the family at church and everybody's like singing. They've all got their like hymn books open or whatever. But like most of the people in the church are kind of distracted and they're all just watching Prima. Yeah, even Victor uh, and El- Elizabeth gives them the side eye. She's like, "Really? <laughs> we're, not only we just yeah. got married and we're in church." Yeah, I, well, and it, it seems like you know there's like, there's like one specific guy that we'll kind of meet later, like on the other side of the church, who's watching her. Mm-hmm. And it seems more like Victor is, I think he's observing her. Mm. He's not like watching her with attraction the way the other guy is. Right. But, you know, to Elizabeth, he's still watching her, you know. So, yeah, there's definitely some like jealousy forming there as well. And then we get another just like terrifying scene with Prima. Oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) again, like the whole thing with the original creature was that like he was like a good normal human to start with. And then something, you know, something to do with the the process caused this slow reversion to like a monstrous form but like whether prima was just evil right away or if she's been taught to be evil by, by polidori but she yeah she's she's not like the creature she is she's bad right away mm-hmm. well she tries ch- uh choking a cat yeah she has like she sings this little song to this cat i can't remember the exact words but it's basically like you'll love me as long as i don't hurt you mm-hmm. uh and then she just ch- chokes out this cat and, you know, the cat's, like, you know, scratching and clawing and trying to get away. And Elizabeth walks in before she can kill the cat. And, you know, it does get away. And, you know, Elizabeth's like, they're working on fitting your gown for the ball. So they, they need you. But also, Prima is wearing Elizabeth's gown for the ball. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and Elizabeth's like, what's going on? And she's like, oh, you know, I was just trying it on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then we see that she's got cuts on her hand from the cat but her blood seems to be like purple yeah and coagulated already yeah and she then she just like looks elizabeth like dead in the eyes and just starts like licking the blood off her hand and it's yeah it's super creepy yep so then we we cut to the dress fitting it's a traditional you know she's standing on the box and like they've got the seamstress like measuring and doing little stitches and stuff Mm -hmm. and they want her to take off like this choker necklace that she's wearing yeah by Uh, the way this gave me some really uh really rough blue ribbon vibes if you've ever read that story i'm like nope nope i don't want nothing to do with this okay Uh, yeah, so she she refuses to take it off, and they're like, oh, it must be because Polidori gave it to you, and it's sentimental. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the reason. Yeah, obviously, we know that, you know, her head was attached, you know, so there's there's scars under there. Right. And then the seamstress is, like, sewing. She's, like, hemming the dress. She's, like, down at the bottom, you know, kind of doing some kind of stitches. Prima has, like, some sort of weird sort of flashback. I think she's, like, remembering being stitched together or something when she sees the needle going yeah. through the, she, the fabric. Because she kind of acts like she's being choked a little bit. It, right yeah she kind of yeah she puts her hands up to her neck where she was stitched together mm-hmm. and then it's like later that night and elizabeth gets up and sneaks out of bed she waits until she thinks victor's asleep but victor hears her and gets up and follows and so you know elizabeth goes into prima's room and she does not have the choker on anymore and she sees the neck scar which obviously upsets her but victor gets in at the the exact right moment and puts his hand over her mouth so she doesn't scream Mm -hmm. and so like he kind of leads her away and she's like crying upset by something strange is going on and she's like you need to get her out of this house right so of course the next day we have victor showing up with polidori and uh pretty much at this point victor's like listen man i get what you're doing you're trying to kind of force us to do what you want by having prima here or threatening to leave the monster here so we need to cut this crap and and just get this over with. Yeah, yeah. Polidori promises that after the ball, he and Primo will leave for London and Victor will never see them again. Mm-hmm. And as like a show of good faith, I guess, he shows him that he's still got the creature. He's been locked away uh, this whole time. And he's like, I have a way that we can dispose of the creature. Uh, and then I won't have him for blackmail anymore. So you'll, you'll be free and clear. Uh, and so he's got this acid bath, uh, and is going to just similar to what we saw with the hand and the, or the arm in the previous part, Mm -hmm. he's going to just burn the creature away with acid. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a good plan, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and Polidori's like, he's going to, he like hypnotizes the creature and tries to get him to just walk and get into the tank. But he won't listen to Polidori. 
Not completely. Yeah, it's like while Victor's there, he's more loyal or obedient to Victor. And he's like, you're going to have to tell him to do it. And Victor, you know, is like walk towards the tank and he does. But as he gets to, you know, right up there by the tank to like get in, Victor realizes that like he can't do it. He can't kill this creature. Well, yeah, one of the uh, henchmen tries to actually push the monster in with a stick. And that's when Victor (laughs) cries out, no! Yeah, so he like, like, he wakes the creature basically. Mm -hmm. And so the creature grabs that that henchman and just throws him in the acid bath so so then like polidori and the other henchmen manage to kind of like get him trapped he like goes down like this like flight of stairs down into like a cellar or something and they just like throw a bunch of debris like just like chairs and whatever on top of like just block him down there well not only that but they throw a bunch of oil on top of it yeah and so they they set fire to all this and then victor polidori and the henchmen leave and you know the lab like explodes there's this huge you know this big fireball and everything so yeah nothing uh, could have survived that yeah so the creature's been you know very in in the the ways we've seen in the past where he gets you know knocked down inside of a lab that then goes up in Mm -hmm. flames right they, you know, they assume he's been burned up, and that's the last we'll see of the creature. While they're, like, watching all of this happen, like, Polidori calls Victor a hypocrite. Yeah, he, he mocks his dainty conscience for uh, <laughs> loving his creature only as long as it's beautiful. Yeah, and then we just cut to the ball. So, you know, we're getting to where hopefully things are all going to play out, and everybody's going to part ways, and everybody will live happily ever after. Right. Well, Victor, <laughs> Victor's already kind of a little bit depressed because he's slouching in his chair with uh, some champagne in hand. Yeah, and Polidori's talking to him and kind of like unveils his sort of plan. His master uh, plan. Yeah, which is that he doesn't want to be in a position of power. He wants to stay in the shadows behind the people in power mm-hmm. and control and manipulate them. Yeah, basically uh, he's going to use Prima to get up to the, uh, the higher-ups and he's going to marry her off to hopefully some rich earl in London uh, who's old and maybe about to die, and then he's going to use her as the mistress of a prince and then maybe move on to greater parts of Europe. Like, this dude's got it all planned out already. Yeah, like, he's he's clearly planning on, you know, like, for lack of a better term, he just wants to pimp her out and, you know, use that influence to control things. Right. Which, like, that's a horrible plan to, like, use a, you know, a sentient person as a tool. But he says, this is an elegant plan. It's not vulgar like Clerval who just wanted fame. Right. (laughs) It's like, Uh, at least Clerval wanted to control his own tested like that's you know whether fame is a good thing or not like Clerval wanted to do things himself and I would say what Polidori wants to do is much more vulgar right yeah exactly but we ain't got time for that because you know who we have we have Miss Duval showing up in her (laughs) Bo Peep outfit that was what like uh, they just decided like we need some little moments of levity so let's get this kind of like drunk wacky lady to show up in one scene in each part of the, the right. miniseries. Yeah, and she's like, uh, oh, I thought you wouldn't, I, I'm surprised I didn't get my invitation. I thought this was going to be a, a, a costume ball. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, do you think you think people will notice? Maybe I still look normal. And she's like straight up little Bo Peep, you know, right, she's yeah. got the bonnet, she's got the, the crook. shepherd's crook, <laughs> like the whole deal. Yep, it's amazing. <laughs> Then we see like, you know, there's just, it's a ball. People are dancing and, you know, can I cut in that kind of just normal ball behavior. Then like Prima starts doing like a solo dance and everybody's just watching her, which seems strange, but I guess it's part of like the, the debutante thing. Like maybe she has to do a little performance or something. Well, I think Victor Uh, actually calls out, those were, those were uh, ballerina legs, weren't they? (laughs) But then in the middle of her dance, the creature just strolls in Mm -hmm. And now he's more monstrous than ever because he's like, he's hideously burned from, from, you know, the lab. Right. His face is like peeling away and scabbed at points and, you know, blistered and everything. So truly looking monstrous in this case. Yeah. And he starts going towards Prima because like she's his bride or whatever he, he imagines. Right. He wants uh, her, of course. And we get a great little nod back to, you know, James Whale's Bride of Frankenstein because she like hisses at him. Right. Like and she tries cat. to claw him. Yeah. Yeah. Then, like, it looks like they want to fight each other. Right. But, like, everybody at the party just kind of tries, you know, it's it's like, you know, in middle school and two kids want to fight. fight and, like, fight. you've got other kids, like, hold me back, you know, and they're, like, pulling each other, pulling them off of each other. Right. Um, but, of course, general but, chaos breaks out. Yeah, yeah, of course. And the, the creature is too strong to be held back. So he is smashing stuff. He's physically throwing people <laughs> across the room. Mm-hmm. 
and he manages to get back to her and pulls the choker off of her neck and so then everybody in the crowd sees that she's got this yeah, she, you know her... defined scar around her neck mm-hmm. and so there's kind of like a you know a, <gasps> like you know what's going on and then <laughs> as if that wasn't enough the creature just pulls her head off right, just starts ripping the head off and he, when he's done pulling it off he just drops it at Polidori's feet like here you go buddy <laughs> Yeah. So at, at this point, everybody just kind of takes off, like all the, you know, all the party goers. Mm-hmm. And we, we get this moment where like Polidori and Victor are both just like weeping at what's happened. But like, it's clearly for very different reasons, reasons you know, like Polidori has just lost his meal the tool he needed yeah. to, you know, for his world domination plan. Right. And Victor is just like kind of shell shocked by like what has all happened with his creation and his plan. He had this partner that he had created that was a friend and more possibly, and this is where things have led. Right. He kind of betrayed him, but of course, you know, it's too late for that. Yeah. And and Victor even like looks at the creature and is like, Why? Why you know, why are we why is this where things went? Mm-hmm. And the creature's like, beautiful, Victor, beautiful. Right. Presumably referring to Prima, that like she was beautiful and didn't deserve to be, but also just that like he's not beautiful. And because of that, this is the only way he knows how to be in the world anymore. Right. Well, we, we cut to the next day. There's a constable talking. Turns out that only three of those people died, but ten were seriously injured. It's one of those deals where, like, he's asking them, but really, like, they're too wealthy for anything to happen to them. So basically, he's like, what's the story? You tell me right. You tell me what we're going to go with here, um, because obviously your family kind of runs things around here. Right. And they even uh, mentioned that they got Polidori. They have arrested him. They're going to put him in an institution. Yeah, because, like, Elizabeth is like, it's all Polidori's fault. And he's like, okay, well, he's already institutionalized. He's telling us crazy stuff right. that he made Prima out of a corpse. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, Victor's like, no, no, he's just a madman. He's crazy. Don't listen to him. The thing that was there was a creature. I made it out of parts of core. Oh. <laughs> and then everyone's like, yes. yeah. So, yeah, Victor is now trying to take the blame. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth's like, don't don't listen to Victor. He's, he's ill, yeah. but we're taking care of him. This is a family matter, basically. By, by uh, the way, this is where Liz gets to come into her own. Uh, I keep calling her Liz. Elizabeth ke- comes into her own because, yeah, she steps up and she's like, hey, listen, my dad, you know, he put you into this position, so let's just go with Victor uh, feeling a little under the weather. And Polidori's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and she's like, if you look around, I think Polidori even has a criminal record, so th- <laughs> this is open and shut. And then, you know, assuming, you know, you scratch our back on this, my, my dad will continue to scratch yours, and you'll you'll stay in your position, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody will be happy. Yeah. Just remember, he had a couple places in Germany, Spain, uh, France, you know. He was, he was arrested in all those places. Remember that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah, and so the constable's like, okay, gotcha, you know, and he, he leaves. So then we cut away to Victor and Elizabeth. They've boarded a ship. They're going to America. Yeah, they're, they're like, we're going to start a new life in America. It's going to be, you know... They're they're gonna live the American dream basically. Yeah. But then as the you know the boat has left the harbor, they're out on the sea, and turns out Polidori's there. Hey, what are you doing there? <laughs> well, it turns out that uh, he knows the captain, and it turns out that the captain served some time in Germany, uh, a couple places in Germany, <laughs> France, and Spain. So he knows what's up. Yeah, and Elizabeth's like, but I thought, you know, you were under arrest. And he's like, if a mere woman can manipulate the constable, I think I can handle the constable. Right, yeah. What an asshole. Yeah, he sucks. But there's this weird sort of like, he's just so used to being in control and everybody doing what he wants that he has a hard time understanding how to deal with Victor. Because he's just like, we're, you know, once we get to America, we can we can get back to work. We can start a new, you know, a new creature. This will all start again. And Victor's like, no, no, I'm not working with you anymore. Like, right. fuck you. Right. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Polidori just doesn't. I mean, I don't know if it's that he doesn't have the self-awareness to realize that he's not welcome to Victor or if he's just like, I'm just going to bulldoze through right. because I, I can. I feel like it's that one because like in, in that same sentence, he's basically like, yeah, you're saying these words, but here's what we're going to do. Once we get to New York, we're going to leave immediately for Philadelphia. They're, they're working on a lot of cool chemicals there. We'll, we'll, we'll start right back up from scratch. Yeah, it is basically like he's ignoring everything that Victor says. But, of course, uh, here's a really cool uh, interaction that they have. They sit down at a chess table, being Elizabeth and Victor. 
while Polidor is kind of walking around. Then after uh, they have that little exchange, he looks down. And he's like, he just takes one of Elizabeth's pieces to kind of score underscore that he is the puppet master or the chess master of this and moves it into place, basically checking Victor's king. And he's like, checkmate, done. And <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so then we find out that there's another stowaway on the ship. Yeah. Peeping out from the <laughs> lifeboat is the creature. He like climbs, you know, climbs over onto the, the main deck. But he's not seen at first, and he, like, sneaks below deck, kind of walks around. He sees a world map on the wall, and you see that, like, up to the north, it just says Uncharted Territories. Right, in the North Pole. And, of course, the uh, creature must be a big fan of Santa Claus because he's really enraptured with that area. Mm-hmm. So then we cut away to Elizabeth and Victor. They're arguing. Polidori showing up has, like, caused some tension between them. They're trying to figure out how to handle that. Mm-hmm. They're not exactly on the same page. Elizabeth leaves and goes to find Polidori to confront him. Yeah, but she manages to uh, go downstairs and she sees a mirror that reveals that something else is in Polidori's room, namely the creature. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah, it's great. Like she sees it, you know, it's like at an angle thing through like a crack in the door. Mm-hmm. So she sees the creature. He doesn't see her. Uh, and so she just pulls the door closed and it's, you know, there's like a lock on the out or the key to the locks on the outside. So she locks him in. Mm-hmm. And that's when Polidori shows up. <laughs> so Polidori is like, what are you doing? Like, what are you messing with my room? And, you know, so she's she's like, well, you know, this, this kind of works out. So she lets him in and then also locks, locks the door, door behind, behind him. him. So now Polidori is trapped in his room with the creature. Right. And, of course, he doesn't like that because the first thing the creature says is, Polly Dolly. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it's the creature already it was displaying some violent tendencies, but now we know if like Clerval is driving, mm-hmm. definitely Polidori is in trouble. Mm-hmm. So Polidori starts like, you know, calling for help. Victor! Victor <laughs> Yeah, and, and Victor does come and you know, Elizabeth's like, just just yeah, this we'll is our it. chance. Yeah. Like, just leave him in there, and you know, probably the creature is going to kill Polidori. But either way, one of them is going to get killed, and that's one less problem for us to deal with. Right. But of course, Victor. I mean, even earlier they had a little discussion where uh, Polidori was like, "Listen, you know, you think Victor loves you more? No, he he wants he loves this this thing more than you." underscoring mm-hmm. that the creature is kind of his real love. Yeah. So Victor lets them out, you know, unlocks the door, and then they all go up onto the main deck, and there is a huge lightning storm. Hey, you know who doesn't like huge lightning storms? <laughs> yeah, Polidori just, like, freaks out right away. Mm-hmm. We mentioned earlier or in the previous section that, like, Clerval was kind of, you know, making fun of Polidori's fear of lightning, and I don't know if you remember, like, I, I was just editing our previous episode, mm-hmm. and you specifically said, his fear of electricity, it'll get him one day, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I know what was going on. Uh, yeah, and yep, so indeed, Polidori is scared. He's trying to figure out, he's trying to get back below deck, mm-hmm. but the creature just, like, ties him up right. to, you know, one of the, like, you know, mast ropes or whatever. Yeah, mocking and, him the entire time, by the way. Yeah, the creature is just, like, laughing his ass off at this whole thing, and and Polidori, you know, James Mason is a an amazing actor. Like, he's probably the most well-known actor from this, and there's a reason, because, like, his fear in this is, like, palpable. Like, he is losing it. Right. And the creature, like, uses, like, the pulley system or whatever and, like, raises Polidori up way up into the sails and everything, like, closer to the lightning. Right. And, yeah, he's, you know, obviously, like, escalating in fear as this is going on. Well, like, it shows you how much, like, in the previous few scenes, he is the guy who is in control in all situations. Now mm-hmm. he is not, and he is not enjoying it at all because he's literally like crying out, "Please, anybody, help me!" Literally, yeah. anybody. Yeah, I mean, he's begging for his life, mm-hmm. and like you know, like he said, like he's always been in control, and he's always very cool and calm, and <clears throat> and here it is the complete opposite. Like he's just completely unhinged. Yeah, it's just like abject terror, mm-hmm. uh, and so the creature climbs up into the rigging with him and just is like laughing and mocking him completely, just pointing and laughing at him as he's absolutely afraid. And Victor starts to kind of climb up. After to help to try to figure something out, right. uh, but before he can get there, he gets bonked on the head. Yeah, yeah. Victor gets hit and falls. Mm-hmm. It's like a 
one of the, I don't know what they're called, but it's like those big, heavy pulley things with a hook that you yeah. see on ships. So Victor's down for the count. Don't worry about that because Captain Doctor Who is there, Tom Baker, and he's going to try and save Polidori. But that's... That, but it's stop. Tom Baker? Yeah, it's Tom Baker. I didn't even recognize yeah. him. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's cool that we he's just, you know, pops up in several of our Frankenstein <laughs> movies. Yeah, but only for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. We had the other, we have Patrick Troughton, too. So, we're mm-hmm. yeah, lots of Doctor Who stuff in, in these uh, mm. Frankenstein movies. Um, but, yeah, yeah, he he doesn't end up making it up either. And Polidori gets struck by lightning. And just turns into and... a skeleton. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Not a burnt corpse, just skele- skeleton. Yeah, immediately. Right. <laughs> After that, like then the creature sees that that Victor has been knocked knocked out, and so he climbs back down really quickly because he he still is connected to Victor. So he picks up Victor and carries him to his room, and the, that's the captain follows to rescue Victor. I do love that he's like, "Hey, all right, everybody, every every one of the crew members, we're gonna open this door, and we're gonna rush the monster." And literally, <laughs> no one is about about this. They're like, "No, you can rush him by yourself." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they all like jump in life rafts. They're just like, see. <laughs> oh yeah uh, by the way did you hear what he like yells out i'm like what the fuck like as as he's lowering the raft he's like what the hell we're heading back to england bly did it so can i what <laughs> yeah. i mean I, I i i get he's talking about uh captain bly but it's it's like why that was a random thing i feel like tom baker just wanted to add that in for the culture you know, it's like yeah. it was a fact that he knew he he kept on the back burner. He just wanted to scream something out about it. And the director was like, listen, Tom. All right, man, you're, you're kind of a big deal, I guess, at this time. Or maybe. He, yeah, he's probably a big deal at this time. So he's like, whatever, man, go for it. So then the captain, you know, follows the creature. He managed like he shoots him and it has like zero effect. Mm-hmm. So so then uh, the, the creature and does he end up killing the captain? No, no, that's that's why I said uh I thought we, we oh, skipped so that. The captain goes with the crew. Okay, I yeah. was thinking that the, the crew left and, and abandoned the captain. No, yeah, they I were just, just getting it, ready. Have it a little mixed up there. But yeah, so so they've abandoned everybody. Right. And it's just down to, you know, Polidori's gone. So we basically just have Victor, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And the monster. But, you know, it seems like Victor is, he's not doing well. So the creature leaves him in his room and goes to like the, is it just called a wheel? Is there a be- better name for the, the boat wheel? Um... Yes. I'm really revealing how much I don't know about boats in this episode. Yes, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Hold on a second. I mean, it, it is literally the steering wheel. Regardless, he, he sets it to be headed north. Like, he looks on the compass and, you know, aims the boat north and then, like, lashes the, the wheel so that it's helm. not going to turn. Helm. It's called the helm. Helm, okay. Yep. Yeah, it's a term you hear, but I didn't realize it referred to the wheel. Yeah. Then Elizabeth confronts the creature. She's obviously upset about everything that's how it's all played out. Right. She tries to uh, rebuke him in the name of God, the Almighty. <laughs> Bad call. And, yeah, it does not work out. He just strangles her immediately. Right. He's like, uh, do you presume to have authority o- of the Almighty over me? <laughs> yeah. So then we just, you know, basically at this point we've got Victor in his, you know, preferred state of like coma right <laughs> uh, and the creature you know heading towards the north so it kind of is leading us to the same end that we get in the book where you know victor and the creature are alone in the arctic but we're just taking a very different route to get there right and so eventually victor does wake and he's alone he like walks out of the room calling for elizabeth and you could tell he's like cold like he's like you can see his breath and everything yeah. uh, and then he gets out onto the deck frozen and sees, over yeah elizabeth is just like you know, Jack Torrance in The Shining, just like frozen solid. Then he doesn't see it. You know, he's just like abandoned on this boat. But then he sees that there's like snow on the on the deck, mm-hmm. and there are footprints leading overboard. Right, and they they seem to be stuck in a in an ice field, basically. And, yeah. And who, yes. Who's that out there on the ice field? Hey, <laughs> that's the the creature. Yeah. So he's like out in the distance, almost to the horizon, and you just got like his footprints leading out there. Um, and so Victor, of course, follows. O- off in the distance, we see there's like a sort of a, an ice mountain or something, you know, right. uh, the, the ice cave that we see in a lot of adaptations of this. So Victor eventually gets to the cave and the creature's already there waiting for him. And he asks the creature's forgiveness. Everything kind of fell apart at this, you know, this final moment. Like Victor is kind of trying to own up to his mistakes. Well, he even says, he even says, listen, at this point, I'm going to die out here because I'm just a human. 
and you're unfortunately going to be just stuck out here for eternity. Mm-hmm. So let's let's make amends at this point. Yeah, because I didn't mean to do to basically be a shitty dad slash boyfriend <laughs> husband to you. Yeah, and but and the creature's kind of like he's listening, but he's kind of not responsive or whatever. And so Victor sort of yells, "Forgive me!" Yeah, and then we hear some kind of cracking and rumbling. And they sort of both realize at once, like, oh, this is this is the way that we can go out together on our own terms. Yeah. And, and, you know, I love what the creature says at this point. It's like, oh, OK, so now we I won't be alone forever. We'll both be gone together. Bravo, Victor. Bravo. Yeah. And so they both kind of just like laugh and, and hug, hug each other. Yeah. And it, you know, it's it's a really sad, tragic moment. But it's it's like a sort of like beautifully tragic moment where like. All these things have gone wrong, and you know they they were so in love, and then their relationship fell apart. But now, in their last moment, they're they're kind of getting like a, a Romeo and Juliet moment where right. they like get to go out together. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And sure enough, the ice cave kind of collapses, and then we cut to like a, a far away shot that not only did it collapse, but it falls into the right. ocean. And that's our abrupt ending. Yep, that's how yeah, they're they're gone. Every, right. Everybody in this movie has died, so so there's not really any need for for a little you know epilogue or whatever. Nope. Like it's it, there's there's no one left to follow at this point. So yep, abrupt ending for everybody. Yeah, basically. So let's let's. I mean, this is clearly this underscores that the, the creature was Victor's like real love and only love, mm-hmm. like. Unfortunately, with Elizabeth, it wasn't "quote quote" real. Unfortunately, but she thought she felt it was real. But as Polidori mentioned, no, he loves the creature, not you. You come second. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like not too different from like how things probably would have played out in this time period in real life. You know, mm-hmm. like if you got a gay man who's in love with you know another man, like they might have their relationship, but like at the end of the day, there's going to be the marriage with the, you know, the heterosexual, you know, heteronormative marriage. Um, So that's, yeah, like, obviously, like, Elizabeth is the beard. She just doesn't know she is. Right. Oh, Um, yeah, that's rough. And, and and it's, it's unfortunate for her, too, because, like, especially near the end of this, where we finally get to really spend some time with Elizabeth, she's brilliant. Like, she's really smart. She's tenacious. Like, she stands up for herself and for her relationship, whether it's Prima or Polidori or the creature at the end when, like, she has no chance. She's, you know, she's a very strong woman who, like, knows what she wants. Yeah. Uh, And due to circumstances of the society that they live in, she's not really given the opportunity to have the life that she deserves. Yeah. And she definitely deserved a better one than this. But, you know, we wouldn't have a story if that were the case. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah, so... This, you know, like, I think, you know, we've talked about, we've been comparing this to the Dan Curtis one and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I still think for as far as like a Frankenstein story, I prefer the Dan Curtis one. Yeah. But this still is like a really powerful story. And it's just, I mean, you know, as we keep saying, it is a gay romance. That's right. a tragedy. I mean, it feels like, it feels Shakespearean, you know, it's like these star-crossed lovers, basically, you know. I could, um, I could definitely see why it out outshone the Dan Curtis version, right? Because that one looked like basically we recorded a play. Yeah. Whereas this one is a big budget. Not only like it's these really big grand sets, whether it's like the big ball in this, you know, huge ballroom or even like Victor's lab that was huge and lavish and, and really complicated. And then they redressed the set and did it all over again for Polidori's lab. Like, yeah, I mean like this clearly had a much bigger budget and they, put it to really good use yes they did and the the actors on top of that i'm not trying to disparage the actors in the dan curtis version but these 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 are actors yeah like these are the big name actors Mm -hmm. and you know i mean like they're well known and also just you know incredibly talented Mm -hmm. absolutely so it's it's it is really interesting that these came out in the same year it's it's unfortunate for the dan curtis one because i think it would have done better had it come out with a little bit more distance between them Mm -hmm. but it's really like to think about like that year you know 1974 whatever's going on in the world and what like these two interpretations are so drastically different and they're in their scope in the way that they're filmed in the message that the the creators are trying to put across you know like they're clearly taking the frankenstein story and spinning it in you know for their own ends and they're so drastically different right uh, which you know is something that I've I, I've continued to realize as we've watched all these and as we've read the book, 
is that that that's what makes this book so powerful give it such staying power yeah. is that it it has enough little gaps in the it's got a really strong foundation and then it's got gaps here and there where like different people can take it in different directions and and yeah it's it's going to live forever because of that because everybody's always going to have a new way to interpret that depending on their personal biases and the you know the society that they live in at that time and yeah it's just uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. Even in this case, where you've got like at the same time, it's still very different. Right. Yeah. Like we like we said with the uh, the guys when we were on the uh, last book on the shelf. Basically, there's enough vagueness where you could insert anything you really want to in certain parts, and you can mm-hmm. shuffle it around to tell whatever story you want. So yeah, absolutely. That's why we love it, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. That's why creators keep coming back to it, and that's why fans like us keep coming back to it as well. That's right. This well has no end, and we're very happy. For right, that. <laughs> <laughs> job security, <Yeah>. baby. <laughs> All right. So yeah, Anthony, where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Letterbox and YouTube. Hey! I, I keep forgetting some of those. We're at the Frankencast. Um, at the Frankencast. You can also email us at thefrankencast at gmail.com. And, you know, most importantly, you can find us at patreon.com slash thefrankencast. Yeah. We uh, we uh, we need the uh, funding for our evil schemes uh, and to do more crazy schemes. Yeah, and you know, like uh, just knowing that people are getting something out of this to the point that they you know they want to invest in us, continue to do this. You know, it's it's exciting for us. It makes us want to keep doing more. You know, it makes us want to uh, you know expand this in, in different ways. So if you've been listening this whole time and you like what we're doing. Uh, and, and you're financially able, you know, the support means a lot. Uh, and, you know, if you give back to us, we'll definitely give, give back to much you, yeah. more to you in, in return. Um, you know, we're basically for three or five dollars a month, you're going to basically double the amount of material you're getting from us every month. Yeah. So if you uh, like it a little bit, you're going to get a lot. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's a more freeform place where we can do a lot of different stuff and interact with you all a little more and see what excites you all about the Frankenstein story and what you'd like to hear us talk about. Absolutely, and also if if you don't have the monetary uh, ability to go to the Patreon, just interact with us on all those platforms that you can. Uh, basically, that you know tells that evil algorithm that runs our world. Basically, that we're worth your time. Yeah, and you know, yeah, whether you you can donate or not, like we're still you know thrilled to talk to anybody who's enjoying what we're doing so so you're definitely still welcome to chat we'll talk about frankenstein to anyone who will ask absolutely and for as long as they want (laughs) yeah yeah um by the time this one comes out the episode from last book on the shelf will have been out for about a week but yeah if you haven't caught that yet friend of the pod hayden has a show it's like a book club and we were on we just recorded an episode last night where we talked about Mary Shelley's novel for like a full three hours. So so, uh, you know, if, if that sounds like something you'd like, definitely go check that out. They are a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, we had a great time chatting with them. Yeah, it was so kind of, we think you'll enjoy it as well. Yeah, it was kind of amazing. Uh, yeah. Speaking of that, uh, let's t- let's talk about our Patreon patrons. Uh, of course, we do have Hayden Orr. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yep, we've got Hayden and, you know, he's, he's been with us from day one, been a big supporter and, and we really appreciate that. Uh, and then we also have Santos who, um, who's been, been with us pretty early on as well. And, you know, he's, he's always kind of reaching out to us with little, um, just clips and, and things he finds along the way. He just yesterday sent us, oh, um, and we were trying to come up with casting for the uh, it's a live movie right uh and he he had a good pull for um for a bella lugosi because we couldn't think of one mm. um there's an actor i think is i don't know exactly how it's pronounced it's like clay's bang um c-l-a-e-s he played dracula in like a netflix miniseries and like he does have a very lugosi look to him like he would be oh, a, a yeah. great pick for that so uh uh that was a that was a, a good pull from from santos yeah, I backed that up. I could see it. <laughs> yeah, so so thank you to you guys and, and, you know, to anybody else who's interested. You know, we've got a little teaser trailer uh, here in the main feed. Uh, check it out, and if that sounds like something you'd be into, we'd love to have you there. Hey, Anthony, you know, I'm feeling a little, a little weird, man. <laughs> I think we should uh, do some weird science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, after we did this kind of, you know, long, more serious 
kind of ponderous you know we're kind of trying to, to do a little contrast with what we're doing so so yeah next week after we've we've done this movie from the 70s we're going straight into the, the 80s. 80s with the uh the john hughes classic teen frankenstein movie right weird science i mean this is an 80s comedy so prepare yourself for uh some some uh tasteless jokes yeah, there's going to be plenty of that. It's surprisingly not quite as offensive as you think right. it would be, but it, I mean, it is still, you know, it is still two teenage boys creating basically a sex robot. So and wearing bras gonna on be their a head. little bit. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, it'll be a good time. We'll we'll have fun with that yeah. one. So uh, so yeah, definitely join us next week for Weird Science. Yeah, and as always, to be continued. Uh... Looks like you survived another episode. The Freaking Cast is a production of FCR Media. It's hosted by Anthony Bowman and Eric Velasquez. Follow us on Twitter at The Freaking Cast or send us a letter at thefreakingcast at gmail.com. Our cover art is by Amanda Keller. You can find her at Keller Illustrations on Instagram. Our theme music is by Vivek Abhishek. Thanks for listening. <laughs>